Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right, well, tonight we're going to look at the, the uh, final installments on uh, the series that we've been doing, the study that we've been doing on Wednesday nights about the prayers of Jesus. And you remember uh, that these, these, there are seven prayers that Jesus prays in the Gospels that are recorded in the Gospels. And so we have taken the time to kind of look at each one of those individually. Tonight is the, the last installment uh, in, in this study, and we're, tonight we're going to be looking at the prayers that Jesus prayed on the cross. And so there's actually, in your notes, there's actually three prayers that Jesus prays on the cross. So three, there's the, the gospel records seven final sayings of Jesus when he is on the cross. Three of those final seven sayings, three of them are prayers where he is talking to God, uh, talking to his, his heavenly father. And so last week we talked about the prayer in Gethsemane and we talked about how that was a prayer of agony. Jesus was in great distress. Jesus was in great pain. He sweat. The Bible says his, uh, his uh, sweat became great drops of blood because of the stress and the strain that was on him. And so the pain, but the pain that Jesus experienced in Gethsemane was of a different nature, and, and, but it could not compare to the pain and the humiliation that he experienced on uh, the cross. In fact, crucifixion was a unique form of execution because it was specifically designed uh, to cause as much pain and suffering as, as possible. For that reason, it was considered uh, inhumane by the Romans, and, and they wouldn't even, they would not crucify Roman citizens because they considered it to be uh, a crucifixion, a punishment uh, that was reserved only for barbarians and for, um, uh, for, for foreigners. And so it was, it was a, a terrible method of execution that administered as much pain and as much humiliation uh, as possible. And Jesus Christ suffered that for us. Amen? And so it's while he is on the cross that Jesus is, prays these final three prayers before his crucifixion. And because of the, the pain that he was experiencing during the crucifixion, these were, these three prayers... Um, they were, they are um, excruciating, this is in your notes, they are excruciating prayers. Excruciating is actually a word that means tremendous pain and suffering. And it's actually a word that is coined from crucifixion. Uh, ex, uh, excruciating means out of the cross. And so it's it's a unique kind of pain and suffering that was administered on the, on the cross. And so these prayers are excruciating. They are, they're painful prayers. They're prayers that are hard uh, to, to pray. And so the pain of Gethsemane was not comparable to the pain that Jesus felt on the cross. These are excruciating, painful 
prayers, and uh, there are three of them. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to go through, we're going to talk about each one of those uh, tonight. The first prayer that he prayed on the cross is found in Luke chapter 23, verse number 34, and it is the prayer of forgiveness. Prayer of forgiveness. Now, this is not this is not a prayer asking for God to forgive us. How many knows the prayer asking God to forgive us? How many knows that's an, a relatively easy prayer? God's Word says if we will confess our sins, all we have to do is confess our sins, admit that we're sinners, confess those sins to God, and God's Word says, and then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Aren't you thankful that all we have to do is come clean before God and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I confess my sins to you. And God is willing, he is able to quickly forgive us of our sins. That's not the kind of prayer that we're talking about here. This is a prayer uh, praying that we might be able to forgive or that God would forgive others, that we would be able to forgive others. The prayer is actually this. On the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How many knows that was a prophetic prayer that Jesus was praying uh, on the cross? But as we've been talking about in this series, it is also a model prayer for us. And how many knows it is it is hard for us to, sometimes it is hard for us to forgive individuals that have caused us pain and suffering. That's what Jesus is doing here. He is, these individuals, he's praying for Pilate, he's praying for Herod, he's praying for the Roman soldiers, he's praying for uh, Caiaphas and Annas. He's praying for the Sanhedrin. He's praying for the Roman soldiers. He's praying for those that are mocking him. He's praying for the thieves that are on the, either side of him. Jesus is praying for all of those that are causing him the pain that he's experiencing, the humiliation that he's going through. Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're, what they're doing. Who knows? That's, that's a hard prayer to pray for somebody who is causing you so much pain and, and suffering. Forgiveness, being able to forgive, praying for the forgiveness of others is a, is a difficult prayer to pray when they have caused you pain and suffering. Nevertheless, there in your notes, Jesus tells us that we ought to do what? We ought to love our enemies and that we ought to pray for them. That's Matthew, in case you doubt that, that's Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Okay, you can look it up later. So, Pastor Tim, I'm not sure Jesus told us to love our enemies and pray for, well, he did. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Uh, and, and it's hard to hear because it's hard to do, right? When somebody causes you pain and suffering, um, it's hard to love them and to pray for them. But Jesus is our example. Jesus taught us that we should love our enemies, that we should pray for them, even those that hurt us. We should pray for them because they don't, they don't know the Father like we do. And in fact, that's significant here that Jesus is saying, Father, he's addressing God as Father, Father, forgive them because they, do you see that Jesus is drawing a distinction between the relationship that he has with God. God, you're my heavenly father. I'm praying that you would forgive them because they don't know 
uh, what they are doing. You see, when we, when we understand that our enemies, those that misuse us and those that cause us pain and suffering, that we, we should pity them, we should have compassion on others because we recognize that they don't know God as Father like we know God as Father. They don't, they don't have the same kind of relationship with God that we have with God. So when we look on um, the world, when we look on the individuals that have caused us pain and suffering, we ought to have compassion. That's what Jesus, Jesus had compassion on those even the, although they were causing him pain and suffering, he still had compassion on them because he knew that they were lost and they didn't know God as their heavenly father. So when we pray for those that have misused us or hurt us, we should, we should love them. We should pray for them because we should recognize that they don't have the same kind of relationship. God loves them. Jesus Christ died for them, amen, just like he died for us. And that ought to ought cause us to have compassion on the, even if they cause us injury or harm because we recognize they don't know the Father like we know the Father. So Jesus taught us that we should love our enemies. We ought to pray for them because they don't know the Father like we do. Not only do they not know the Father like we do, but Jesus says they don't know what they're doing. Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they, they don't even know what they are doing. Now listen, second point there under point number one anyway, in your notes, ignorance. How many knows that ignorance is not an excuse for people to sin? Not, not knowing the truth is not an excuse uh, for sinning. If I'm I go down the road, uh, um, a road that I'm unfamiliar with, and the speed limit is 35 miles per hour, and I'm going 55 miles per hour, and the policeman stops me, and I say, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't know that the speed limit was 35 miles per hour on this road. Or you think the, the, the police officers are going to say, oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you didn't know that it was. In that case, you know, just go free, you know. No, ignorance is not an excuse. Uh, to sin. And so Jesus is not excusing uh, their sinfulness. Um, but so ignorance is not an excuse for people to sin, but it is an opportunity for us to show mercy. Now, if that policeman stops me and I say, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know that the, um, that the speed limit was 35 miles per hour, he might say, he doesn't have to say, he could say, well, ignorance is no excuse, Mr. Rice, and here's your ticket. <laughs> uh, but he might say, well, it's the, the speed limit is 35 miles per hour. Next time you come down this road, be aware of that. This time I'm going to show you mercy and grace. And I'm going to say, thank you very much, Mr. Officer. That never happens to me, by the way. I always get the ticket. Um, <laughs> So ignorance is not an excuse for people to sin. Somebody hurts you, offends you, transgresses against you. It's not, ignorance is not an excuse for them uh, to do that. However, it is an opportunity for us to show mercy. 
to someone else. And how many knows Jesus gave us the example here that when somebody hurts us, somebody offends us, first of all, we should pray for them and pray that they would come to know the Father. If they're not saved, they don't know the Lord, we should pray that they would come to know Jesus the way that we know Jesus. Second of all, we ought to be willing to extend mercy and grace to people. Amen? And so forgiveness is hard, but we must love our enemies. We need to pray for them. We ought to show them mercy. And then the last point under that prayer anyway is forgiveness. We forgive. It's important for us to forgive others because forgiveness is not really for their benefit. Forgiveness is for our benefit. We forgive others for our benefit. Uh, benefits. Jesus taught us, going back to mercy, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain what? Mercy. How many of you have ever needed mercy from, from God? All of us, we need mercy. So we show others mercy because we receive mercy from God. We forgive others uh, so that we don't harbor any unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment in our heart because unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment, how many knows if you harbor that in your heart toward another individual, what they did to you might have been wrong. It might have hurt you. They might have sinned against you. Again, we're not, we're not excusing that sin, but we're saying if you harbor unforgiveness toward that other person, how many knows you're not hurting that other person, you're only hurting yourself. You're holding that poison in your own spirit and, and in your own life. So we need to forgive others so that our hearts can be clear, so that our hearts can be clean. Jesus taught us that praying uh, to forgive others. It's painful. It's, it's hard. It's a difficult prayer to pray sometimes, especially if that person has hurt you deeply and you have suffered because of the actions of somewhat, someone else. But how many knows pray, the prayer of forgiveness is an absolute necessary prayer for us to pray so that we can get that poison out of our own hearts and experience God's grace God's love and God's mercy. But it's a hard prayer for us to pray. The second prayer is uh, the prayer of the forsaken. The prayer of the forsaken. This is Matthew chapter 27. We're not turning to each one of these. I've, I've given you the prayer in your notes. You can look at them later if you'd like to. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 46. Jesus prays from the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, the first thing I want to say about this prayer is that this prayer is an anomaly. Okay, that means it stands out from all of the other prayers. It's different than all of the other prayers that Jesus prayed. Can you guess why, one reason why it's different than all of the other prayers that Jesus prayed? Well, it's, uh, for one reason, it's because this is the only prayer that Jesus prays where he doesn't address God as Father. My God. My God, he cries out, why have you forsaken? Why doesn't he address him as father? It's because he feels abandoned. He feels forsaken. And he, he feels uh, the wrath of God 
that is being poured out on the sins of all of the world because in that moment, <laughs> in that moment, Jesus became uh, sin. God poured his wrath out on the sins of all, not his own sin. Jesus was sinless and he was perfect, but he took upon himself our sins, the sins of the whole world. And, and he was, uh, Isaiah says, he was smitten and afflicted because of our iniquities and because of our transgressions. And the separation that Jesus is feeling there on the cross is what causes him to cry out in, in agony because he feels that alienation from God the Father, whereas he, has, he had always enjoyed a close and intimate relationship with the Father for the first time. He is feeling that pulling away, that tearing, that separation between, between them as God's wrath is being, is being poured out. So this prayer is an anomaly because it's the only time when Jesus prays that he doesn't address God as his Father. It's the only time that he prays in which he, he gives voice to this feeling of being separated from, from God's presence and that fellowship that he had with God. So this prayer is an anomaly because the normal, and I'll put the normal in quotation marks for a reason. I'll come back to that in just a second. Because the normal experience of a child of God should be, it ought to be, that we have close fellowship with God the Father. Amen? That's the normal Christian experience. That's that's what we always ought to feel is that close fellowship and that relationship with God the Father. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ has made that possible for us, that we can have that relationship with him? However, uh, so that's the normal Christian experience, but occasionally, occasionally we do feel that same sense of aloneness when we can't hear God's voice. But we can't feel God's presence. So I put normal in quotation marks because here's the thing I want you to understand. It's not, it's not abnormal for Christians to sometimes feel alone and to feel, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I don't feel your presence. So that's not abnormal. It's just that the normal what we want, what we desire, what God desires for us, and what we desire is to have that close relationship with God, right? But occasionally we do feel forsaken. Occasionally we do feel alone. Occasionally we do wonder, God, where are you? Don't you, don't you see what's going on in uh, my situation? Don't you see the pain that I'm in? Don't you see the situation? Uh, I think that that is, that is a universal human experience. It's not the normal uh, that God has for us, but we have all been there before. And from time to time, we all feel that same kind of, of alienation. Um, but it's, but uh, God has made it possible for us to have close fellowship with him, even if sometimes we do feel that we are alone and forsaken. Second point is this. This, this is, prayer is a cry of agony. 
I said that about the prayer in Gethsemane. It's true of this prayer as well. In fact, the Bible says he cried out with a loud voice. This is not, you know, just um, a simple prayer. He is crying out in pain and, and in agony. And I think that that is significant because this is, this is an honest Desperate question about God's silence that Jesus is saying, why have you forsaken me? And and here's what I want us to understand about that this evening. Um, God God does not punish us. um, Well, let me say it this way. God is okay when we pour out our emotions and our questions and our feelings to him. I mean, if you look at the book of Psalms, uh, David is very often, David is very raw in his emotions when he is praying and when he's talking to God. And so he goes to God and talks to God, and he is honest about what he's thinking, honest about uh, what he's feeling. I mean, sometimes David is saying, God, I want you to smite them and I want you to do God this is where you at so David is the same way he's very honest and he's very raw about his emotions and what he's feeling and I think that God desires when we are in those places that we can I'm glad that we can come to God and we can be honest about what we're feeling and where we're at amen and so um, this is a prayer that expresses that kind of a raw emotion about, you know, because I think that's important because a lot of times we think something's wrong with us if we go to the Lord and, and we are honest about the, that we're angry or that we're frightened or uh, that we're sad or that we're feeling depressed. And we, Somehow, sometimes we think that it's wrong to express those honest emotions to God. How many knows God already knows how you're feeling anyway? (laughs) And so it's best to just be honest with God. God, here's how I'm feeling. And I'm struggling because I'm angry at what so-and-so did. Or I don't understand. I'm hurting here. Or I'm sad about this turn of events in my life. So I think it's important that... Uh, Jesus has given us an example here that when we go to the Lord in prayer, sometimes we do feel alone. Sometimes we do feel like we're forsaken and we wonder, God, where are you? And in those times, it's, it's okay. I think it's appropriate for us to pour out our emotions to God and be honest with him about what we're feeling and, and where we're at, okay? Everybody okay with that tonight? Then the third point, third thing I want to say about that second prayer is that this prayer does not mean that God is absent from us. It does not mean that God is absent from us. He may be silent. How I many of God sometimes is silent? He may be silent. We, we may be having difficulty feeling his presence. We may have questions about God, where are you? Uh, what are you doing? I don't understand this. I feel like you've forsaken me and I feel all alone. But how many knows that doesn't mean that God is actually 
absent. Amen? In fact, consider the fact that in this moment, Jesus was feeling that abandonment and that for, he was feeling uh, forsaken and separated from God because what was happening in that moment? That this is uh, the moment, the greatest moment in salvation history ever because this is when Jesus Christ is paying the penalty for our sins. It is, it is, it is the transitional, it is the key moment in salvation history where the sacrifice is being made, God is receiving the sacrifice, pouring out his wrath on sin so that you and I can be saved. What was accomplished in this moment was the salvation of all mankind, those that will believe on Jesus Christ. And so it's sometimes, here's the, here's the takeaway, it's sometimes it's in the darkest moments and it's in those moments where we're wondering, God, what are you doing? What's going on? I don't understand. How many of those, sometimes it's in the darkest moments that God's doing his greatest work in our life. So it's okay for us to say, God, I don't understand what's going on. And I feel like you're not listening to me. And I don't understand why you're silent. However, the reality is, is that God is always at work in our life. Amen. God is always, always working for our good and for his glory. So in those moments when it seems like God is absent from us, God may be accomplishing a great work in, in our life. But the prayer of the forsaken, and, and I, I said it's the prayer of the forsaken, but I mean, we're never forsaken, amen. Um, but the prayer of the forsaken is a painful, it's a difficult prayer because of the feeling of uh, God's silence or his absence in our life. So that's prayer number two, the prayer of forgiveness, the prayer of the forsaken, and then prayer number three, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, in the moment that Jesus dies on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, or I commend uh, my spirit. And this is an important prayer because despite his pain, despite the pain that he's experiencing on the cross, and remember we talked about this last week, that if he had wanted to, Jesus said, I could call down, I could, I could just speak the word, my father would send 12 legions of angels and deliver me. He didn't have to stay on the cross, right? But despite his pain that he was on, experiencing on the cross, Despite his feeling of um, abandonment, separation from God, despite his pain, Jesus committed himself into his Father's hands. Committed himself into God's hands. He gave himself over to the Lord. Now, Jesus, the Bible says this about Jesus. Jesus told, um, uh, Jesus said that he was in complete control of his life. He said, no man takes my life from me. He said, I willingly, I lay my life down. And so what we, what we see in this prayer is Jesus' decision to just willingly lay his life down uh, for us. So Jesus was always in total control of his life. How many knows uh, we don't have that same kind of control over our life? <laughs> We try to control our life, but the reality is there in your notes, we cannot control our life. But here's what we can do. 
we can choose to give our life away. So we try hard to control our life. And you know, no matter how hard you try to control, well, this is true of me. Maybe you've got it figured out, all right? And if you do, I want to talk to you after service, all right? <laughs> but no matter how hard I try to control my life, there are things that happen that are just beyond my control. It's because people do things that they don't, they don't ask me, should I do this? I wish, I wish everybody would ask me, can I, should I do this? I would tell them, no, do this. I want you to do that. But uh, I can't control what other people do. I can't control what Washington, D.C. does. I can't control what happens in Raleigh. I can't even control uh, what happens in Dunn. <laughs> I, I can't control my life. No matter how hard I try to control the circumstances of my life, I can't control my life. But here's what I, so that means there's always something going wrong in my life. Something always going like I don't want it to go. And so sometimes I'll say, Lord, I don't understand. Why does this have to have to happen? Where are you, God? Don't you see what's going on in my life? I can't control my life, but here's what I can do. I can say, God, I can't control my life, but I can put my life in your hands and trust you, God, and know that you're in control and that you're going to take care of me. And you see, that's what Jesus is teaching us in this last prayer. Now, he controlled his life. He willingly laid his life down, said, okay, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. I don't have that kind of control over my life, but I can say the same thing that Jesus prayed. Lord, I give, I commit my life into your hands. I place my life in your hands because I may not understand it, I may not even like some of the things that's happening in my life, but Lord, I can choose to place my life in your hands and trust you. In fact, it's significant, isn't it, that here after Jesus, after Jesus has already cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus now returns to what? Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Even, even in his pain, even after you know, feeling that alienation and that abandonment, Jesus says, no, Father, I trust you. I trust you with my life. And so he committed himself, committed his, himself into his Father's hands. I, I read this quote the other day, and I loved it. I'm going to share it with you. I should have put it in your notes, but... Um, but I didn't, so <laughs> you can write it down if you like to. Timothy Keller said, this may not be an exact quote, but it's similar anyway. He says, uh, it is not the quality of my faith that holds me up. It is the object of my faith that holds me up. So in other words, it's not in my ability to believe um, in and what's going on control my life is in my ability to believe that God controls my life, right? And so even when life doesn't happen the way that we want it to happen, even when we're uh, going through, and remember these are painful, excruciating prayers because sometimes we go through some hard, life is hard sometimes. And it takes some twists and turns that we don't understand and it causes 
pain and confusion and hardship in our life. But in the midst of that hardship, aren't you glad that we can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. I only know that this is hard and it's difficult. But God, I choose to believe that you're my heavenly father. And so I'm going to commit my life into your hands. I'm going to put myself in your hands and say, Lord, I trust you. I have faith in you that you're going to do what is good, that you're going to do what is, what is right. So these are, these are hard prayers. They're excruciating prayers. They're painful prayers for us to pray. But let me end with this last thought, this last statement, and then we're going to pray. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus endured the cross. He endured the pain. He endured the humiliation. He, he endured the shame of the cross. For what reason? For the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the pain of the cross. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured uh, the cross. And, and so, let me go back to that, that word that I introduced you to at the very beginning. These are excruciating prayers because the word excruciating means what? Out of the cross. Cross is a painful experience. A painful experience. Um, so these are excruciating prayers, but there's something else that comes out of the cross. And that is what? Joy. Joy. Jesus Christ, God used the cross to transform our lives, to save us from our sins and to give us hope. And so out of the cross comes what? Victory. Victory in our lives. And so... As Christians, as the children of God, we know this. Listen, the pain of the cross always holds the promise of victory and the promise of glory. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, what trials you're going through, you can know that there is joy on the other side of it. God's going to use it for some benefit in our life. So you can endure the pain because you know that there is joy. God's going to use it for some purpose. There's, there's pain, but there's also the promise of glory and the promise uh, of victory. So God can bring something good even out of your worst situations and your most painful experiences. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to flip them open to Hebrews chapter 12. And I want us to read a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 12 before we end in prayer. Because it's what we were singing earlier and it's what Hebrews chapter 12 says that I thought, let's, let's do prayer at the end of the service. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse number one. Therefore, since we are surrounded, you know, um, uh, you know this verse very well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's stop there for just one second. Where's Jesus now? At the right hand of God the Father. 
<laughs> and we've already talked about this in this series. And what is he doing there? The Bible says that he, he lives to make intercession for us. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what problems we have, he is interceding for us in heaven. That should make you feel good tonight. He's interceding uh, for us. God has grace uh, for us. And then now let's look at verse number three. So consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. And then he goes on and says, we haven't, we haven't suffered like Jesus suffered. And so we were singing that song earlier, and I want uh, Blenda to come. Mike, you come and play. Blenda, I want you to come, and I want you to lead us in that chorus again. Um, turn your eyes on Jesus. That's what, that's what Hebrews says. Consider him. Look to Jesus. All that he endured, the pain that he endured on the cross, everything that he went through, aren't you? he went through it for us so that we might be saved. And now, now, He's at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. So let's look to him tonight, because he has the power, he has the grace that we need. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play App Store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.